This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome. You're here live this morning and this afternoon with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. And of course, Instagram Live. We're here for you. We're here for your pets. Talk about anything you want to talk about. I always have stuff to talk about, but we're hoping that between this audience and this audience, that someone will have some questions, something that irked them, something that happened to their pet, and they want some information. They want an explanation. They want to find out what's going on. And that's why I'm here. So anyway, I hope you all had a good week. I'm still uh, rebounding from the very fun time I had last week at our reunion. And a couple of things that, I, that uh, you know, I peruse the news, the American Veterinary Medical Association, the American Animal Hospital Association. I go to their sites every week and, um, you know, just talk about things that, that are going on in the industry, things that might you find interesting. I mean, there are a lot of stories about, you know, very specific veterinary stuff, but I'd like to share some good cases. And many of you may have seen on Instagram that I had a dog that we did that ugly, uh, bloody spleen surgery. And I mentioned that to the, the guy, it was not an easy sell. I mean, he did not want to do it. And I, the dog was in good shape. It was old, but in good shape otherwise. And I don't, to me, age is not a disease. I don't make a decision on whether or not to proceed with something just because of age. To me, I'd rather do surgery on a 14-year-old healthy dog whose bloods are great, whose heart is good, than a 10-year-old or 9-year-old dog who's got liver disease or kidney disease. So to me, it's, it's not age. As many of you know, I did surgery on my own 15-year-old Labrador. People thought I was nuts to anesthetize for a long, ugly procedure, a 15-year-old Labrador. And I did the surgery. He did great during surgery, after surgery. And he went for another year and a half. I finally put him to sleep at 16 and a half, which for a lab is unbelievable. So finally, this guy said, okay, you know, doc, we need to die. Almost made him feel guilty. And I always say this all the time. What happens if you didn't do something that you should have? or you did something and it turned out to be okay. So let's say we opened up and there was nothing we can do. Then we would have been no different, right? This tumor, whatever it is, it's, it's non-resectable. We can't treat it and it's going to take them or they're going to put him to sleep because of it. Or, or we go in and guess what? I can at least remove it by some time. If we didn't do surgery on that day, it probably would have ruptured and he would have bled out. So the fact that we did it, I don't know if you saw the video, there was blood everywhere. These big, huge blood blisters. Every time I touched it, it was like a, a water balloon, but it was a blood balloon and they popped in the blood all over the place. That blood, would have he would have lost it all. Anyway, P.S., the spleen itself looked okay. He had a couple of, you know, budding blisters that were looked like they were about to grow. And we removed the spleen. Cooper, the dog, did surgery, did beautifully during the surgery and comes back a week later, a benign hematoma. It was a lymphocytic spleen it was just an inflammatory response with the hematoma. And basically, this was curative. This dog, I mean, it, I mean, it's still an old dog and other things that might affect him, but not the spleen. He will not bleed out and he is doing great. We took stitches out last week. And then when the biopsy came back, I was, I, that was one of the best phone calls to make when you get to call an owner and say, guess what? This was life-saving. Your dog is going to be just fine. And uh, those are the best. That's why I do it. You know, people, so many people say that they want to be a veterinarian, but they didn't because they couldn't put it to sleep or because they, they couldn't handle all the, you know, the blood and gore. And I'm thinking to myself, those things are when you can say, literally, when these hands 
actually saved an animal's life, that is the best thing ever. So uh, anyway, the dog was doing great. So I had another case, and we talked about this a while ago. You know, there is a new treatment. Those of you who have cats, ever had a cat with FIP, feline infectious peritonitis, and there is a new treatment out. You know, it's interesting. I did not learn it from the veterinary world. I learned it from one of my clients because for some reason, even though it's obviously was started at UC Davis, discovered by Dr. Niels Peterson, who was one of the researchers who was my professor way back in the day, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal. So it is an injection called GS44. It really is GS44. Four one five two four, but those are a lot of numbers to forget. So TS forty four, and it is some injection is given. Now they even have it in oral form, but I like the injection better. And you can go to fipwarriors.com or curefip.com. You have to get it from a legitimate source because there are a lot of copycats out there now. But it's not really talked about in the veterinary world. It blows my mind. I've learned something from my clients, and it's great. So I've already had personally, not counting the one that taught me, but I've had five cats since. We're on cat number six, okay? And it's 84 daily injections. And I saw this cat. This cat was belly full of fluid, scrawny. It was going to die. It was 100% going to die because as we knew it, FIP, feline infectious peritonitis, 100% fatal. So I just saw it last week for the first recheck. I think it was 10 injections in, and this cat is already doing well. It's a mind blow. How this stuff, whatever the CS44 is or 441524 is, that it literally is saving lives. It's amazing. So um, anyway, very thrilling. Our Dutch Shepherd had a tumor. They removed it and it was also removed spleen as well. Good. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm one of these guys because I, as I said, I recommend it. You don't know. You can do an ultrasound. You can see stuff, but you can't tell what it is from ultrasound. Yes, it may look ugly on ultrasound. It may look like a tumor. And maybe it's going to be a tumor. But then on the ultrasound alone, you don't know what other organs may be involved. So my feeling is if the pet is healthy, all right, and the bloods are okay, and his heart's good, it's worth exploratory. It is worth going in, taking a look. There's nothing that replaces opening up the abdomen and really seeing what's there, seeing what it's connected to. Is it resectable? And when you do it, it's great. I've done tumors in the neck thyroid that were huge and very difficult surgery, very challenging. You're, you know, working around the jugular vein and the vagal nerve and the carotid artery, and you have to really do some really good dissection. And yet when you're done and it worked out, it's amazing. It's a great feeling. So anyway, I love it. So, uh, all right. Some other things that I want to talk about. So the, oh, the topic of discussion was just doing, you know, splenectomy. It was a case that I had that we removed the spleen, bleeding, it was uh, ugly, and it turned out to be a benign hematoma and saved this dog's life. Dog did great. All right. So, oh, here's a good one. This comes from my sis. An article about the FDA alerting penalty. So I checked with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Mike Dryden. Mike is now emeritus. He was the top parasitology professor at Kansas State University. He is known as Dr. Flea. He is literally everything Flea. Any new product goes through Mike's lab. And... um. So first of all, this, that FDA thing is, is on the older side. And so it's been there for a while. It's like checking on Rimadyl, Carprofen, and hearing the horror stories when it first came out years ago because it was being overdosed. And so there is a rare connection between seizure disorder and the new class of drugs called isoxazolines. The four isoxazolines are Provecto, Credilio, Simperica, and Nexgard. They are all very effective. Semperica, Nexgard, Credilio are 
good for 30 days. Brevecto is actually good for 12 weeks. You can also get a combo with Semperica called Semperica Trio and for Cordelio called Cordelio Plus, and that is fleas, takes and heartworms again once a month, once every 30 days. It seems like those animals that have had issues had prior problems with seizure activity, or it means that they were predisposed and they were going to have some seizures anyway. And even in that case, it is rare. And even if it worked for one isoxazoline, it doesn't mean it's going to work with the other. So the recommendation still is, look, I have five dogs. They're on one of the isoxazolines, either Nexgard or Brevecto. And um, I've never had a problem. And I would tell you the vast, in fact, I think I've only had one case of a problem and it was a dog with seizures. And we then switched from one to the other. And I don't remember which one we started, which one we switched to, and it hasn't happened again. So my recommendation is, the isoxazoline class, those four are still the best flea and tick products out there. Fipronil, which is the active ingredient of Frontline, and imidacloprid, the active ingredient of Advantage and K9 Advantix, though both very safe, very safe, but they're not going to be as effective. And Revolution was never really that effective for dogs. However, it is still one of my favorite for cats, and I have my cats on Revolution. So just do some homework. Don't be afraid. They still are really, really good products. Uh, uh, what's diagnostic uh, do I use for confirmation of FIP? I do usually do the FIP tighter. They do it at 1 to 400 and 1 to 1600. This particular cat was high positive on both. Uh, there was no doubt in my mind this was FIP. I mean, I, I looked, took one look at the cat. The cat was under two. The big belly, fluid. I told him, I said, I'm going to stick a needle in the belly. Took an ultrasound. It's going to come out with a very sticky, yellow, straw-colored fluid. And sure enough, it, it's exactly what it was. Then we got the results back. High for, at 1 400. High at 1 to 1600. It was FIP. There was no doubt in my mind. Anyway, that's one thing you get when you've been doing this for a long time. All right. Ah, no, I, okay. So this is from Shola7057. Our dog is healthy. Other than I noticed a tumor on her toes, I immediately had a needle biopsied. It turns out it's cancer. Uh, can you remove it? I need to get an SIP. So the answer is yes. So this is when we have, uh, first of all, interestingly, toenail and toe tumors, if it's around the nail bed, it's often a melanoma and or it could be an osteosarcoma. Here's the problem anyway with these tumors is that when you have, whether it's a tumor or a really bad nail bed infection, they are so hard to get rid of because of the osteomyelitis. The treatment is the same, amputate the toe. And these dogs do just fine. My only concern is that you wrote toes, plural. That would make a little, possibly a bit more of a difference depending on where they are. I'd be surprised if it's toes. I'm hoping it's just one toe. And if that's the case, Yes, it should be amputated, and that could be life-saving. So 100% would recommend that. You can just send me a, a personal message here. Uh, if you're in Los Angeles, I'd be happy to uh, do that surgery. Oh, God. ah, it is one toe. That makes more sense to me. Good. Again, see, a, little, a little experience. This is the wisdom part. comes in. It's not smart. I'm not smart. But when you're doing this for a long time, you get, a little, you get some wisdom there from experience. So uh, that's good. Yeah, so send me a text. Anyway. I can't believe it's, it's halfway through the show. Mark, what's going on here? I'm going to go ahead and just do a couple of these. Then we're going to break for a commercial break, and I'll come back and talk to you guys. And if you have any other questions along the way, please bring them to me. So, so this was a great story that dogs that like farmers, not many of us are farmers. I'm certainly not. But who knows? Maybe someone's look has a farm and you have livestock. So what do you do? You get guard dogs. Well, guess what? They're called guardian dogs, and they are credited by a particular farmer for not losing a single animal, livestock animal in the last seven years. But also what's important is that he has not had to kill a single coyote, mountain lion, or a wolf either. 
So what they're finding is that there's almost like a mutual respect that when these predators approach a farm and see these guard dogs, they go, you know what? I'm not messing with it. I'm going to go next door. It's kind of like, it's kind of like having watchdogs, having dogs in the house who bark. And a perpetrator comes up to the house trying to break in. All of a sudden, hoo, hoo, I mean, like my Labrador has a pretty deep bark. And my, my Frenchie will bite the heck out of, out, of, out of a stranger. So it's like, this is perfect. So the guy says, you know what? I'm not messing with this. I'm going to see what the guy next door has. That's what we're seeing with these dogs is that they're, so not only is it good for the, the livestock at a farm, it's also good for the predators. So uh, I thought that was a cute story. So that the fact there's that mutual respect, cloudy eyes on your dog. We could talk about this real quick and then we're going to go to break. So a lot of older dogs, I get this all the time. I think my dog has cataracts. Well, so just understand there is an normal age change called lenticular sclerosis, or they call it sometimes nuclear sclerosis. It is basically an aging of the lens capsule. It becomes fibrotic. It becomes like thickened, like scarred. So with a, with a sclerotic lens capsule, it loses some of its, A, it, it doesn't move as easily, but most more importantly, it doesn't allow light in and out as easily. It becomes a little bit opaque. So you look at these dogs' eyes, or mostly older dogs, even some older cats, and you'll see kind of like a, a bluish or a grayish haze, the tint, to the actual normally black pupil. So this is an age change. By definition, it is a pre-cataractus condition. But in order for this to turn into cataract, assuming it's not real cataract, your dog would have to live to about 30. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen. So it is normal. It might, as it gets advanced, as they get older, it might cause some light issues or, or vision issues in low light, but typically they can still see. Now, other problems you can have, of course, you can have a something called a, a lens. There's a normal lens change, obviously, called glaucoma. And that is a cataract or glaucoma. So glaucoma also, because the whole eye gets swollen, that can impede the lens and it looks a little more bluish. And of course, cataracts. Cataracts, of course, are something that are removable. And that's why it's so important with any of these problems to have your pet seen by your veterinarian. Because glaucoma can be treated. The ultimate treatment, if need be, is enucleation, removing the eye. But the glaucoma is very, very painful. So if your dog's lens if the bulb itself the globe itself looks like it's it's getting big and it just seems firmer to the touch have your dog or cat seen it's usually dogs by your vet because it's something that can be treated there's some great medications out there that could help there are two surgical type procedures that could help and it's worth a try so see your veterinarian if it is a cataract Cataracts can be removed. Not only can they be removed, but they can now, it's so cool. Remember, of all the senses, one of the weakest for dogs is their vision, okay? They don't have good acute vision. Their color is okay. They don't see colors like we do, but they can see colors. It's more of a bland uh, array of colors that they see. But when a cataract is removed, now the veterinary ophthalmologist implant a lens that is much clearer and better than the cataractus lens. So it actually, they can see better after cataract surgery than they did even before the cataract. So that's pretty cool. So, uh, but definitely, definitely something you want to see your veterinarian for and, uh, and have that checked out. So before we uh, go on, I want to take a quick break for our advertisers here on Pet Life Radio. And I'll be back here in a second. I will stay on here during the break so we can talk. Don't go away. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. 
With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, we're back. So we're just talking about tumor and tumors and locations and types of tumors. And it's very important to have tumors checked. By looking at them alone, you really can't always tell. A perfect example, this is again where I learned from one of my young colleagues. I saw a little, little when it was a little something on the skin. It, it looked so benign. I, maybe a histiocytoma, which is benign. They often go away by, the, by themselves. I said, look, well, let's just watch it if it becomes a problem. So I said to my young associate, I said, would you have done anything differently? She goes, well, you know, good, fresh out of school. And she goes, I probably would have, would have aspirated it. I said, well, okay, let's aspirate it. So she aspirated it. Sure enough, <laughs> it was a cancer. So uh, you see, an old dog can learn new tricks. So uh, yeah, no, you should always evaluate things, even if it's a lipoma. You're 99% sure. It looks like a lipoma. It feels like a lipoma, which is a benign fatty tumor. Still stick a needle into it just to make sure, because you never know. Some of these things that look so kind of benign, on the outside, you think, ah, it's nothing, it's a wart. You know, well, warts are a little different because those you can tell. But when you see a growth, if it's firm, and a lot of times what I do is I'll see a growth that is under the skin. It feels like it might be a cyst, what's called a sebaceous cyst. So I stick a needle in anyway because I want to see, is this something that we can drain? Now, mind you, when you drain a sebaceous cyst, you see it, it's ugly. You ever watch that thing on, you know, on internet uh, or a TikTok with the doctor, who's, you know, this dermatologist squeezing those disgusting, oh, oh, pores and, and zits. And, oh, my, it's so gross. But anyway, you have to know that those are like sebaceous cysts in, in dogs. So I'll stick a needle and pop it and I squeeze it. The owners get so grossed out to see this. Oh, my God, it's disgusting stuff. But it's good to know those. Why? Because when you do that with a dog and that's a cyst, all you're doing is emptying out the contents of this cyst. You have done nothing, nothing to destroy the cells on the lining of that cyst on the inside that are creating this sebum, this disgusting stuff. So the only way to get rid of it once and for all is either going to be cutting it open and using some sort of cautery device to destroy the inner lining, or what I like to do, I just remove the whole sucker. Just next time I have it, it's not, I rarely have to do it as part of by itself. But next time I'll say, next time we do the dentals, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll remove those little cysts because that's the only way to get rid of them once and for all. So bottom line is, if you feel a mass, if you feel a lump or a bump, at least have it checked out. It may be nothing. Hopefully it is nothing. The majority of times it is nothing. But if you can get something early, especially when it comes to a mast cell and you have a grade one or two, grade two mast cell and you get it early and remove it, it's curative. So uh, grade threes, different story. The big one I told you when I, on my dog, uh, when, I, when I did Grover and he lived for 16 and a half years, after the surgery, a year and a half after 15-year-old's uh, surgery, he was grade three. I knew it was going to get him, but you know what? I think what got him, because we had him on medicine that really is perfect for mast cells, it was just his age, 16 and a half. I think that's what did it. So anyway, ah, good question. Haven't heard about many lepto cases this year. Updated my dog's board of televaxing, but skip the others. Is that fine? Again, my opinion. It's only my opinion. And that is, yes, it's fine. Now, unless Lepso always was a lifestyle vaccine. 
It was a vaccine that if you traveled to areas, if you hiked in the canyons or the mountains where there were the rodents and there were streams and they were urinating and defecating in the streams and your dog was then drinking that water, then yes, they could be exposed to lepto. And then if that was your lifestyle, if you're a very active person, then I would say yes, to be safe, do the lepto. But for my dogs that go in the neighborhood, I never did lepto. Why did I avoid lepto? There's a reason for it. First of all, I am a big fan of vaccinating. However, I am not a fan of vaccinating if it's not necessary. I'm not going to vaccinate a dog that never goes hiking with rattlesnake vaccine or a dog here in Los Angeles where we don't see Lyme. I'm not doing the Borrelia, the Lyme disease vaccine. So it's a lifestyle. If my dogs never go to board, which they don't, right, then I'm not going to do influenza. So for me, the vaccines that are required are or recommended are those where your pet potentially could be at risk. I have five cats. I do not vaccinate against rabies or leukemia. Why not? Because my cats are only indoors. And in California, rabies isn't required for cats. And where are they going to get it? I don't invite bats or raccoons or skunks into my house. They're not going to get bitten. So what am I going to vaccinate them for? Leukemia, prolonged direct contact with leukemia positive cat. Well, my cats are not going to have prolonged direct contact with leukemia positive cat. Again, why would I vaccinate? Especially since, and this is true, lepto hurts the most of all the vaccines. The one that gives the most vaccine reaction is the lepto. Do I want to subject my dogs to that? No, if they don't need it. If they, of course, if they need it, I would. Now, cats, there is something called feline vaccine-induced sarcoma. It's actually a cancer secondary to an injection. Usually, it's a vaccine, and it is deadly in the sense that you can't remove it. So that's why, if you've noticed lately, your veterinarian has been giving vaccine to the cats in the legs, not in the trunk, not in the back and the flank with like we used to. Why? Because if they develop this feline vaccine, they do sarcoma. Treatment of choice, amputation. You amputate the leg. I don't want to do that unless I have to. So again, if the vaccine is worse than the disease, if the vaccine is protecting it against something that your dog is not going to be have access to, right? There's no risk, then don't give the vaccine. So that is my, that's my two cents. Take it or leave it. After how many vaccines can we start walking Lincoln around the block? That's my new canine nephew. Here's my feeling about vaccine. The first one, eight weeks, eight, 12, and 16, my favorite schedule. Eight weeks, still want to keep pretty protected. Your yard is fine. Have friends come over with their dogs that are well protected because we want to start socializing. You already have dogs, so that's less important. 12-week shot. And I mean, when I say after, I mean a few days after, because you got to give the chance a vaccine for work. Then I say, walking around the neighborhood is okay. Again, don't mingle with dogs you don't know. And if, and if you see a, a poop or something sitting on the grass, obviously hold them back. Public places like we're in LA would be like a dog park, Third Street Promenade, the Grove, where a lot of people take their dogs. That's not till after the final set of vaccines, which is 16 weeks. And again, four to five days after that. So that is, again, my two cents. Take it or leave it. So Bordetella, great question. Here's why I'm a little different about Bordetella. Bordetella, was always known as a kennel cough vaccine. It's not. It's not kennel cough anymore. It's the live in LA cough. Go to the Grove cough. Go to the dog park cough. Go to Beverly Drive cough. Go to Rodeo Drive cough. Go to the vet cough. Go to the groomer cough. It is everywhere now. So even if you don't board your dogs, but you do walk them and they're going to engage possibly with other dogs, you're going to socialize with other dogs that are going to other places. Be safe. It's an easy vaccine. It's not expensive. And if you don't frequent these places, I do it once a year. I do my dogs once a year. If you do frequent these public places, then you want to do it every six months. It's not a great vax, but it's the best thing we got. 
Okay, next up, do we have time? Ooh, we're a little wrong. I'm gonna do one more story. So this may be you. Some of us are not feeling it in big cities, but it shows that pet, this nationally, of course, pet parents are cutting back spending on their pets because of rising prices. People, unfortunately, focusing on their own essentials. When you have a tough time affording your groceries for your kids or getting expensive gas for your car, unfortunately, pets take a backseat to those. And I understand. So, um, you know, hopefully your pets don't get sick. Take good care of them. Preventive care is the key. And uh, so you don't have to spend a fortune on them. But it's just that is a reality. One thing we're still seeing a lot of is derm issues, skin problems. It could be many things they're talking about. It could be uh, irritants. It could be inhaled allergens, fleas, environmental, etc. So if you see pets biting, scratching, licking, etc., um, it also could be secondary infection like bacteria yeast. So this is very important. If you take your pets in for, for allergy treatment and they use, whether it's going to be corticosteroids, which are still being used, whether it's Cytopoint, which I love, whether it's Apical, which is my second choice, right? Understand, if they have already caught, created lesions in their skin, now they have secondary infection. That's itchy. And that, well, those medications are not going to re relieve that itching. So in fact, steroids sometimes can exacerbate infection. Again, carefully used carefully is not a problem, but you need to use it judiciously, as I say. So make sure that treatment, you want to try to find the cause, the offending allergen, if you can, if it's environmental avoidance, if it's inhaled, you can't, you're not going to put them in a bubble. So you got to go and, and get them tested if you can, or just put them on some of these anti-allergy medications. But the key is if they also are suffering from some sort of skin infection, you see redness, you see scabs, you see sores, et cetera, then for sure, uh, very important to treat with antibiotics as well. Again, talk to your veterinarian. All right. So that's all we have time for today. I have some other stories. We can hit them next week. If you need to get a hold of me at any time during the week, Werbs underscore DVM, you can send me a, a private message. Do me a favor. I am not a good texter. I can, as you notice, I can talk well and very fast. So if you need to get me, I'm a much better talker than I'm a texter. So leave me your cell phone numbers. I will call you and we can have a conversation. Going back and forth, I say a texting conversation by the time you see what I say, that you answer, I answer back. It's 10, 15 minutes. I can handle it in three minutes in a telephone conversation. So I don't have a lot of free time. So anyway, call me, I'll call you. Just leave me your numbers and uh, not a problem. All right. And that is all we have time for today. It was great visiting with you. And uh, likewise, here on Pet Life Radio, Mark, we'll see you next week. For those of you who see you next week, again, if you guys have any questions on Pet Life, again, you can send them to me to Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. I will get them and I, of course, will answer you, uh, at least do my best to answer you. And uh, other than that, have a great week, everybody. Thanks for joining me. And uh, we will, again, see you here next week. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.